is Radio 3. Morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday the 23rd of November. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3 from me, Peter Lewis. The OECD said yesterday in a new report that the world economy was reeling from the largest energy shock since the 1970s. According to its latest forecasts, growth in almost every large economy was set to be weaker next year than it had previously forecast in June as high inflation wrecked people's spending power. It warned that the enduring energy crisis was here to stay. The OECD forecasts a significant growth slowdown globally in 2023. The world economy will now grow by 2.2% next year, the OECD's latest report predicts, thanks to the strength of emerging economies. China reported 27,899 new local COVID cases across the mainland and close to the highest daily tally on record. Restrictions are increasing across the country. Nomura estimates that 48 cities are subject to movement restrictions affecting about a fifth of China's economy. Hong Kong's two power companies on Tuesday announced tariff increases of around 5 and 6% for next year, citing an increase in global energy prices caused by the war in Ukraine. CLP Power said there will be an actual increase of 6.4% in the net tariff compared with the current level. Hong Kong electric customers will see their bills go up by 5.5%. The new rates will come into effect on January the 1st next year. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried run the cryptocurrency exchange as his personal fiefdom before its collapse, with a substantial amount of money spent on items unrelated to the business, such as vacation homes in the Bahamas, according to a lawyer working on the bankruptcy. He told a US court on Tuesday that we have witnessed one of the most abrupt and difficult collapses in the history of corporate America. He told the court that a substantial amount of FTX Group's assets have either been stolen or are missing. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, Gavin Parry, Managing Director of Parry International Trading, and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stocks soared on Tuesday, treasuries rallied and the dollar fell as investors bet that the pace of interest rate rises will slow into the end of the year. The S&P 500 rose 1.4% to close at 4,004, its first close above the 4,000 level since September. The Dow closed 398 points, or 1.2% higher, at 34,098. The Nasdaq Composite also gained 1.4% to 11,174. Shares in Warner Music jumped more than 15% on Tuesday after the music label behind Lizzo and Ed Sheeran revealed it made nearly $6 billion in sales over the past year, despite a challenging economic environment. And just a reminder that US markets will be closed Thursday and open for a half-day session on Friday for the Thanksgiving Day celebrations. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index climbed 0.7%. London's FTSE 100 was up 1%. Hong Kong stocks fell for a fifth day as traders remain concerned about a surge in COVID cases on the mainland. Last week, the Hang Seng Index was up as much as 25% for the month of November, but the latest setback has eroded those gains to 18.6%. 
On Tuesday, the benchmark index fell 232 points, or 1.3%, to 17,424. The tech index retreated 3.2%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.1% to 3,089. And one other important piece of news for you on the equities front. Saudi Arabia's stock exchange will be closed today after a national holiday was declared in the country in honour of Saudi Arabia's shock 2-1 win over Argentina at the World Cup in Qatar. In the oil markets, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Western allies are set to agree on a Russian oil price cap at around $60 per barrel, but it could be as high as $70 per barrel. Brent crude oil settled 1% firmer at $88.36 a barrel. Gold is unchanged at $1,740 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell 8 basis points to 3.76%, and the US dollar is weaker this morning. The euro right now trading at $1.03. The buck is 0.6% firmer against the Japanese yen at 141.16. Sterling is 0.6% stronger at $1.19 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 29 cents. Offshore Chinese yuan is at 7.14 versus the dollar and Bitcoin is up 3% at $16,100. Asia-Pacific stock markets are opening up for the day in Australia. The ASX 200 is up 0.9%. Markets in Japan are closed for a public holiday. The Cosby in South Korea up about half a percent. And futures markets pointing to a gain of about 120 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. It's a Wednesday morning. That means it's time to welcome Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. Welcome, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter. And also with us on the phone, we have Gavin Gavin Parry, Managing Director of Parry International Trading. Morning to you, Gavin. Morning, Peter. And over in Washington, D.C., as always on a Wednesday, our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter. Um, Let's start with this OECD report. They say the world economy is reeling from the latest energy shock, which is the worst since the 1970s. They say growth in almost every large economy is set to be weaker next year than it previously forecast in June. And it says that 17.7% of GDP will be spent on energy, a higher proportion than during the first and second oil crisis of the 1970s and 1980s. It expects the world economy to grow by 2.2% and it expects the Eurozone uh, to be the worst hit by these energy uh, prices rises, forecasting only half a percent growth um, next year. In the United States, real GDP projected to grow by 1.8%. The OECD says high inflation and tighter financial conditions are going to further crimp spending plans um, across the economy. And in China, it forecasts growth to slow to 3.3% this year, but to rebound by 4.6% next year because of supportive measures, they say, that moderate the correction in the real estate sector. Um, Barry, a lot to digest there, but I suppose the big standout was they really spelt out the, f- um, the, the impact of these energy price rises. They say um, that 17.7% of GDP is going to be spent on energy. You probably remember the last oil price shock in the 1970s and 1980s. This is even worse than that, isn't it? 
Well, it is. It's terrible. But I have an initial observation, and I am reminded that our friend Stuart is skeptical about the International Monetary Fund, who puts out these forecasts two or three times a year. They're based in Washington. The OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, is based in Paris. I find this report reflects a European reality which is so pessimistic that I hardly recognize it. It doesn't really convey any information that I find persuasive about what's happening in the United States. Now, all of that said, Peter, obviously Europe is in trouble, and what they're spending on energy is extraordinary and they're going to have a very tough winter. We're not going to have that tough a winter here in the States, but let's just say that the OECD got our attention, but I think they're too pessimistic. And Barry, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think that uh, the, the reflection of the report is that Europe is in a very tough way. Um, quite obviously, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing war, which doesn't seem to cease, is, is primarily the cause. It is on mainland Europe, and the fact of the matter is that uh, this, is, this is the direct cause of energy prices having gone up so much. But a secondary cause, which um, that hasn't been referred to particularly here, but is very obvious, is the fact that the U.S. dollar has been very strong. Energy prices are in U.S. dollars, and European currencies, whether it be the euro or sterling, have fallen very sharply against the U.S. dollar over the last 12 months. And so that compounds the effect of higher energy prices as well. So um, it is a, it, it's undoubtedly going to be a very cold winter in, in Europe. Europe, um, relative to maybe what you're going to be experiencing in the US. Gavin, to try and defend the OECD here from Stuart and Barry's savaging, <laughs> that they, they, are, they do say uh, that the world economy is going to avoid recession, with the two notable exceptions amongst the biggest economies, the UK and Germany, which they do say uh, will be in recession. But do you think that's right? Do you think the world is going to avoid recession? Or do you think maybe that's too optimistic rather than pessimistic? Well, I think, um, obviously, the gentleman has some decent facts there they're speaking about. One thing, again, that hasn't been mentioned is the U.S. release of their strategic oil reserves. Um, that's kept the lid on, on energy prices, um, and that's a finite resource. <clears throat> but we get the feeling that this will, this will dovetail in with, uh, effectively, what we, what we really see, which is the end of King Dollar um, in this cycle. Um, we're very neutral now on the U.S. dollar, and... And inversely, we're kind of upgrading to neutral euro and, and yen, um, and going positive on on uh, sorry, uh, positive on yen, uh, upgrading euro and, and sterling to neutral. Um, we we kind of get the feeling that last week's CPI numbers has, has started to stall the trend of the widening um, interest rate differentials, which and has actually seen some of some of partially reversed um, as, as one of the main drivers for um, the appreciation of the US dollar, and so. The gentlemen are correct when they're speaking US dollar um, centric on that. I think what we need to watch as well is the balance of payments for the US because um, with the US dollar coming off, that could tend to blow it, blow it out. Um, but obviously, you've still got that energy effect of, um, of uh, dollar priced uh, crude. But then again, I, I get the feeling that the what's been underplayed is the, is the yoking, let's say, of the pricing um, by releases of the strategic oil reserve. Um, mm -hmm. it, to encapsulate it, bring it back to us, this is all positive for our region, um, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. 
Okay, well, Barry, on this point that Gavin made about balance of payments, the one thing the OECD did say is that countries have to maintain fiscal prudence. So the US and others, everyone in fact, they can no longer borrow and spend their way um, to growth as they've done before through all this uh, fiscal stimulus, Uh, can they? So presumably that's going to be a new constraint for them. Well, they're right on that, and that's, uh, that's to their credit. Look, the United States, um, luckily, beginning in January, is going to have divided government, and that means all the fiscal stimulus, I think, is over. We had, what, four to six trillion, and I think you could make the case that half of that was in excess of what was required. I like Gavin's point about the strategic petroleum reserve and releasing it. I think the president of the United States is on his back foot there because it didn't need to happen. If you look at the chart now of oil, whether it's uh, West Texas or whether it's North Sea, you'll see that oil is in fact retreating. I mean, in West Texas terms, it's down into the 80s now and it had been very close to 100. So that's a factor. But uh, yeah, what you say, Peter, is correct. The Americans have had this uh, undue privilege, this excessive privilege of the dollar. But regrettably, I don't see any signs of why that's going to change. Yes, we have a huge balance of payments deficit, but uh, the world wants to use the dollar. The dollar has been strong. It's retreated a little bit, but I, I can't see that trend ending. Can you? Stuart, if um, if countries have got to be fiscally prudent, as the UK has just found out when uh, the the markets punish their uh, borrowing and spending plans, what do countries do instead? How do they now create long-term growth? Because they can't rely on what they've been doing for the past few years. Well, that's, that is the challenge, isn't it? Uh, long, creating long-term growth um, is one of the <laughs> the real big issues that most governments can't do themselves. They have to rely on their corporate entities to do that. And, and corporate entities do that through new inventions, through creation of new services, products, or, or whatever that are what people want to buy. And um, we've had this discussion before on this program that, that, has, that we, we reached a time a few years ago where most people had got most of what they wanted and uh, there weren't many new things coming out. You know, we've, uh, we've gone through the period of wanting mobile phones or uh, smart TVs and, and, and iPads and all that sort of stuff. So uh, what, is, what is the next big invention? We don't know um, at this point. Of course, one of the big issues could be battery cars. Um, and, and that certainly seems to be moving along quite rapidly at this point. But uh, I, I think that's going to be one of the challenges that all governments face. Meanwhile, they do have to be fiscally prudent, and that is going to be a challenge. They have to raise taxes. They have to pay off the loans. A lot of the loans were, were taken out when they needed to pay for the, the, the difficult times uh, during COVID two or three years ago. So it, it's, a, it's a big challenge that all governments are having to face at, at this time. I mean, presumably there are some things, though, that governments could do uh, to encourage long-term growth. I'm thinking of things like um, structural reforms to try and get more women into the workplace, you know, maybe having increasing childcare support, more flexible working options. I'm thinking of 
things like keeping the borders open and actually encouraging more immigration rather than rather than less. These presumably are things that governments all over the world could do, couldn't they? Even if maybe uh, some in some cases, like the UK I'm thinking of, they might be politically rather difficult. They're, they're exactly the things that do encourage long-term growth. Well, yeah, yes, and in the, in the case of the UK, it's having the right immigration, not the wrong immigration. What they want are people who... They, they want the people they want... They don't want the people who come on boats across the channel from France. Um, and <laughs> there you are. And that's the, that's, that's exactly that's the U.S. issue with the southern border. And that is exactly, exactly. It's the it's the people who try to climb over or under the fences uh, between Mexico and uh, Texas. That's mm. the ones that uh, the U.S. doesn't want. And gov- I mean, governments Peter. have got policies, but it's um, it's it's a matter of um, sort of fitting the bill for the policies. Barry, you was about to Peter, say. Peter, I would suggest that uh, the real issue, the way to get growth, is to get China open again and to get China's exports back to where they were two or three years ago and to open this trade that really fueled global prosperity. Mm. We've seen India remain relatively strong. The Americans are struggling. The Europeans are worse than that. The Japanese are. Well, they're not in a very good position. But if China comes back, a lot of the questions you pose about bringing women in and doing other things about immigration to get growth up, growth is going to recover once the Chinese are back online. Well, Gavin, to to that point, um, what do you make of what the OECD says here? They're predicting uh, 4.6% growth for China next year. But... As we're seeing, um, cases, COVID cases are surging on the mainland. The lockdowns now, rather than being eased, are getting worse. There's about a fifth of China's economy under some sort of movement restrictions. Um, look, uh, uh, we, we really take a very positive outlook for China and the China markets right now. Um, these short-term aspects of the COVID lockdowns, and this is really recently, but I mean, if, you just have to look last week and in your opening um, gambit, you, you mentioned about the rally in Hong Kong that we had last week. A lot of this, I mean, we had some very fantastic, positive surprise news from the PBOC um, when they made their joint statement with the CBIRC last week, where they have turned around and made, uh, they've said, you know, authorities to encourage um, institutions to treat both SOEs and POEs equally. Um, They've also pushed to outstanding bank loans and trust borrowings that would due over the next six months can be extended for another year. Um, And then you've also got the... um, uh, the health department uh, came out and basically, um, or was it the, the, the National Health Commission announced 20 measures last week further uh, optimising the pandemic measures, and that included shortening quarantine times, reducing mass PRC testing, and scrapping the circuit breaker bans for international flights. So that was last week. I know now we're getting these headlines of, of increased cases, but I think those measures um, are, are, are fairly in, in, indicative that. China is opening up, and I think it's really going to be the lead up to China's New Year we want to keep an eye on. And some of the indicators you want to watch are things like, you know, um, China um, copper importation shipments have been really increasing, and base industrial commodities shipments are increasing. And I think if people want to keep an eye on um, the gold market. I mean, that might sound a bit uh, left field, but this is a seasonal market in China, and as we get into Chinese New Year, the west to east premium tends to. Uh, expand quite widely for the Shanghai Gold um, uh, Exchange Index. And we're starting to see that build in again. So we're starting to get sentiment 
already moving that at least the Chinese New Year period, which tends to be a high consumption period, you know, should come back and hopefully claw back some of the lost consumption in the prior two years' season. Mm-hmm. Stuart, do you agree with that assessment? I mean, as, as Gary, Gavin pointed out, We've seen a lot of measures announced, 20 you know, new measures to try and support the property sector to try and ease COVID restrictions. But we have heard measures announced quite a few times now over the past few months, and either they haven't happened or they haven't really had the desired effect. Do you think it's different this time? No, it's not different this time. I think China is going to go through a rather difficult time in the next six months. The uh, The rate of increase of COVID is quite sharp. Um, it's not quite got out of control, but it will likely get out of control because uh, that's, we know how COVID operates. Uh, we're up to, what, 27, 28,000 a day um, of reported cases, probably quite a lot more than that of unreported cases. And, um, and, and lockdowns are, are returning uh, with um, quite large cities facing the prospect of further lockdown just at the end of the year when a lot of people would be expecting a fair bit of buying to occur. So, uh, yes, I, I think China is, has got a few problems coming up. And, and for the rest of the world to uh, rely on China to get it out of a problem, I think, is the wrong approach. Um, Peter, just, just quickly there, on, on that point, agree with what you're saying on the COVID side, that if you go back to your opening converse, uh, comments about US dollar, I mean, we're up 11% year to date and 18% to 21 January levels, um, purely on the interest rate differential aspects, and I'm talking purely on the market sentiment here, regardless of the exogenous impacts of, of um, 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 the, the pandemic, but just purely from from uh, economics point of view, um, that's definitely going to have uh, positive sentiments for the markets here um, and also for the Shanghai market. I mean, we've also got to remember there's a hell of a lot of the dual listed names coming back to Hong Kong from, from the US that's slated for next year as well. So just on a, on a capital mobility of money from a um, narrowing interest rate differentials, um, and the market sentiment that China is slowly opening up again, regardless of exports and the rest of the world, purely from our time zone point of view, we're very positive um, in relation to the rest of the world. So if you think the dollar's peaked, you must also believe, presumably, that interest rates are close to peaking as well, or at least at the very least, yeah. the pace of rates is going to increase, is going to well, slow from here on. Well, the forward curve has already shown that. It's already indicated that a couple of months ago, um, if you look at the forward curve. So, you know, the, the big thing about the Federal Reserve is that while it's got its dual mandates and, and everyone looks at the price side of things and the um, uh, stability for uh, employment, it's the bond market these guys have been watching on since 2007, since they first did the, um, the Bear Stearns um, uh, push in the, in the money markets and then let it free fall and created the Western credit crisis. Um, it's all about making sure there's liquidity in the money markets for these guys. So you really want to keep an eye on the bond markets here. Okay, Barry. If um, if, if we can't rely on China to spur world growth, the other big uh, thing that's uh, that's that's crucial here is the Fed. Do you agree with um, Gavin's assessment that uh, we're near peak rates now, and at the very least, we're going to see a slowdown in rate increases, and then maybe see the the peak sometime early next year? Yes, sir. I do. I think Gavin's got it right. I think inflation probably peaked in the United States two or three months ago. I think interest rates are, in fact, retreating just a bit. I mean, look at the 10-year. It's under 4%. And uh, I think that suggests that um, the worst may be over. Now, anything could happen. But uh, equity prices have bounced back in October. They're not doing so well in November. But uh, I, I agree with Gavin's assessment.
Mm. And in in terms of um, what the, the the impact of the the previous rate rise, rises that we've had, they do take a while, don't they, to work their way through um, the economy. Are they going to slow the U.S. economy quite substantially? Well, I think certainly you're right, and I didn't answer the first part of your question, and that is I think the Fed will retreat to only a 50 basis point rise when they meet in December, which is, you know, just a, two or three weeks away, and they won't do another 0.75% rise. But yeah, I think the Fed, it does take a while, but I think also that the transmission mechanism is much faster than it used to be. We're already seeing it in the housing market. But the, the good news has to be that the American and global economy absorb these rapid and really unprecedented rises in the United States interest rates without really falling immediately into recession. That's still a possibility, but I think uh, it's receding all the time. Yeah, and, and the big issue with all these interest rate rises is because of the uh, desire on the part of the Fed to try to cap off any any rampant inflation that might otherwise arise. And if they can keep inflation under control, um, you know, that is an achievement in itself. What, you, what about the Hong Kong economy? Let's finish off um, on the local economy. Obviously, we're in recession. We've been seeing a year-on-year growth now decline for three out of the last four years. Uh, John Lee is talking a lot about uh, the key to improving that is trade uh, with, with other Southeast Asian economies and investment here. And um, what do you see as being the key to getting Hong Kong out of recession? Well, uh, in the first instance, Hong Kong is pro- has probably passed its worst point. Um, it has controlled COVID. It is at a point where it could be opening up a lot more. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly open up to the rest of the world. It's not open to China. And uh, bear in mind that uh, China represented 90-odd percent of the tourist and visitor traffic up until uh, 2019. Uh, so we, we're still a long way from seeing that sort of return. But uh, at the same time, the rest of the world can come to Hong Kong. And, uh, and, and I think starting in the new year, we've got events in January and uh, although an early Chinese New Year next year, um, I think we're going to start to see Hong Kong recover quite strongly. Um, and I think there's a lot of positive signs to be seen in the Hong Kong economy, in the Hong Kong market. Gavin, final word to you then on the local economy. Um, we've got these energy price increases coming as well now, 5-6% uh, just being announced. How, what impact is that going to have on the local economy? Well, it's not going to be great. I mean, look, as a, as a local employer and a business owner uh, for 20-odd years, um, we're at a low base, let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's only, there's only upside in, in that respect um, following on from those, those comments that were positive for the Hong Kong economy and and we are getting the feeling that the things are, are, are coming off that low base to get better. One last comment I wanted to make, um, if, if you don't mind, is on that on the FTX um, crypto thing. I know we haven't touched on it, but it, there's a lot of headlines flashing around. I just wanted to fly the flag for, for the Hong Kong government and the SFC because these guys have done an amazing uh, preemptive job in this asset class space, um, which has meant that there shouldn't be any really any real significant fallout uh, for citizens and investors here in Hong Kong. Um, your FTXs and your Binance, they all left Hong Kong um, you know, over a year or so ago because the SFC and the Hong Kong government are implementing new virtual asset legislation uh, next year. So a lot of that um, murky grey area when it comes to the asset classes in this space that still need high education, education but are receiving that, 
um, was was basically removed um, as a risk uh, risk mechanism. So, um, I mean, yeah, obviously I am a 60 license, so I'm a bit biased, I guess, but they really did a, a very uh, great uh, preemptive role here in relation to, um, um, particularly on the retail side of things. Um, uh, these companies all left Hong Kong, went to Singapore, left Singapore, and they ended up in Malta and the BVI. So, okay. Um, I think the government's done a great preemptive job here from a structural point of view. Okay, well, good points and, and good news as well. Well done to the uh, to the SFC. Um, thank you very much. That's Gavin Parry, Managing Director of Parry International Trading, Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, and over in Washington, D.C., our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Just a reminder that Japanese markets are closed today for a public holiday, but in those markets that are open, uh, the ASX 200 in Australia up 0.9%. Uh, in Australia, uh, sorry, in South Korea, the Cosby up three quarters of a percent. Looks like we're going to see a rally of about 175 points or so in the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Brian Wong. The weather forecast. Cloudy with showers and isolated thunderstorms. The maximum temperature is going to be about 24 degrees. Windy and showery tomorrow. Those showers are going to lessen gradually in the latter part of this week. It's 24 degrees right now, 92% relative humidity. And the time's 8.32. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. Thanks, Peter. A group working with grassroots families says inflation-busting increases in electricity tariffs announced yesterday will hit poor households hardest. From January, Hong Kong Electric customers will be paying 45% more than they did a year earlier. For CLP, the figure is almost 20%. Both cited soaring global energy costs. C. Shan from the Society for Community Organizations says people living in subdivided flats will suffer most. She wants the government to offer subsidies. That's disappointing. It definitely will affect the lower class family because actually now many of them, they are underemployed. Their salary is lower than before. So especially for those that are living in subdivided flats, their bill is very high because there are many people in one bill. So average, the bill will be 500, 600 a month. So you can imagine it would be a burden for them. The government says the Deputy Financial Secretary, Michael Wong, is isolating after testing positive for COVID-19. He was last at work yesterday and hasn't travelled recently. A spokesman said his office was being thoroughly disinfected. His wife, the Commissioner for Labour, Mei Chan, is also quarantining at home. The U.S. Supreme Court has approved the release of Donald Trump's tax returns to a congressional committee. The verdict marks a legal defeat for the Republican former president. The BBC's Barbara Plett-Usher reports. This case traces back to Donald Trump's refusal to make his tax returns public in 2016, the only presidential candidate to do so in decades. When the Democrats gained control of the House a few years later, they argued they needed to see his tax records to determine, they said, whether the Internal Revenue Service could properly audit a president who owned hundreds of businesses and used aggressive tax avoidance strategies. Mr. Trump moved to block them in court, calling the request politically motivated. But the Supreme Court has now finally cleared the release of the documents, just weeks before Republicans are set to retake control of the House. Indonesia's National Disaster Agency says the number of people killed in Monday's earthquake in West Java has reached 268. Fewer than half of them have been identified. The quake's epicenter was in Chanjur, where thousands have been taken to shelters. Rescuers are searching for about 150 people who are still missing. President Joko Widodo visited the area. 
I have ordered mobilization of personnel to help the earthquake relief efforts in Tianjur, especially to clear road access that was affected by landslides. As for those who are still buried in rubble, I have also ordered that the search for victims and evacuation of survivors must be prioritized. The government says the 5.6 magnitude quake caused extensive damage, destroying more than 3,000 homes. Aftershocks were still being felt yesterday morning. And that's the news from RTHK.